so it is inevitable. It almost happens every year. Uh, usually um, the one I notice is a team wins a championship. There's this camera that always goes and puts it, they put it right in the face of the star player, and they ask this question, where are you going to go? And almost inevitably, I don't know if they're getting paid endorsement money. I don't know if it's just the pressure of social media. I, I don't know what's going on. But almost inevitably, they always shout back into the camera, I'm going to Disney World or Disneyland, right? And so they, I've never once seen this happen. I've never once seen that in the course of that little conversation that takes place, I've never seen an athlete stop and begin to outline or talk about the stops that they're going to make along the way to get to Disneyland. They never talk about the fact that there are other stops that actually make the trip memorable. How many of you have been to Disneyland? All right, eight of you. All right, all right, never mind. There's more than that. We, we, we always talk about Disneyland as if it's the pinnacle. It's the capstone. It, it receives all the focus. But if you've ever been to, especially if you took a road trip, like in, you know, the old wood-paneled uh, uh, station wagon where you, we didn't buckle up any of the kids back then. We just threw them in the car and said survive, right? And, and you'd take this long road trip. There are some stops along the way that make that journey memorable, like Cadillac Ranch. Yeah, okay, some of you. Uh, the Vegas Strip. Yeah, if you've never been there, all the lights. Uh, here's another one. Hoover Dam. The Grand Canyon. Right? We, we put all of our attention on Disneyland, and we don't stop and talk about the fact that it's those stops that make that journey so memorable. I think that what takes place as believers, if you're in the room and you believe in Jesus, what we do in, our, uh, in, in this journey that we're embarking on today is if we're not careful, we put all of our attention and all of our focus on Disneyland, Disneyland, for you and me as believers, it's going to take place on April 9th this year. Believe it or not, it's almost Easter. Easter is the pinnacle. It's the capstone. It's what separates the message of Jesus from everybody else that claims to be Messiah, right? Because there are a lot of folks that claim to be Messiah that died, but only one rose from the dead. Can I get any help in the house this morning? It's what separates him. But I think what takes place, if we're not careful, is we put all of our attention on Easter, and we don't slow down enough to think about the stops along the way that led to Easter because those stops are, were not only consequential for Jesus, they're consequential for us. And so we're just going to slow down a little bit because I sat in a room with pastors months and months ago and I asked this question and uh, unfortunately in the room and probably in this room, we flunked miserably. I asked this question, I said, hey pastors, you, theologians, Bible scholars in the room, guys leading from the front, can you tell me what happened in Jesus' life on the week that he was about to be crucified and buried? What happened on Monday? What happened on Tuesday? What happened in Jesus' life on Thursday? And most of us, we knew some of the events, but we didn't even know when they happened. I would venture to guess that most of you probably couldn't put them in order either, but I think we need to know the stops. And so we're going to take this journey to the Disneyland of our faith called Easter, but we're going to slow down enough to talk about the stops. So I want you to join with me, if you will, in, in, in your Bible. Open your Bible up on your phone or if, you got the, the, if you're old school and got the, you know, that thing they call a book um, with pages that you have to turn. Uh, go to Matthew chapter, <laughs> Matthew chapter 21, and I want to read to you what happens the very first stop on this journey. Uh, it, I, listen, 
Some of y'all are going to freak out because it's not Palm Sunday. I get it. All right? That doesn't happen for a few more weeks. But we're going to start on the first Sunday of this week of Jesus' life, which we now call Palm Sunday. All right? So, so listen to what happens in Matthew chapter 21, beginning of verse 1. When they neared Jerusalem, having arrived at Bethpage on Mount Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. Go over to the village across from you. You'll find a donkey tethered there, her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, say, the master needs them. I encourage anybody that sees a really nice car today, just walk up to them and say, the master needs them. Set down. No, don't do that. Okay. Um, he will send them with you. This is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet. Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king's on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a pack animal. The disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Then they, they led the donkey and colt out. They laid some of their clothes on them, and Jesus mounted. Now listen to what happens. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. A royal welcome. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead, and crowds followed, and all of them calling out, Hosanna to David's Son, blessed is he who comes in God's name. Hosanna in highest heaven. And as he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, unnerved. People were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? And the parade crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Luke chimes in and gives us a little bit of more information, a little unnerving information, if you will. It's in Luke chapter 19, verses 39 and 40. Listen to what he says while all this is going on. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd... You missed it. Some of the Pharisees, church folk, some of the church folk in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I think maybe it looked a little bit like this. It's about the fact that people in this week of his life are going to crucify him and kill him. I'm, I'm just going to point them out quickly. Right after the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 8, Jesus prophesies about this week. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised again. Then in Mark 9, he did it in Mark 8. Now in Mark 9, he's, there's, the Mount of Transfiguration takes place. And he prophesies again. Listen to what he says in Mark chapter 9. Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected. Then in Mark chapter 10, y'all paying attention? Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10, Jesus gets very precise about what is going to happen. And he says, listen, listen, listen. This is before it happens. Listen. In Mark chapter 10, he says, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and they will condemn him to death and he will hand, they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and then three days later, and kill him and then three days later, he will rise. Prior to this Sunday in Jesus' life, Jesus tells the disciples on three different occasions that I'm going to go to Jerusalem. People are going to reject me. People are going to spit on me. People are going to strip me. People are going to deny me. People are going to reject me. And ultimately, people are going to kill me. Okay, 
you missed it. Before it ever takes place, Jesus is already thinking about and talking about what is going to take place after the triumphal entry. That means that when Jesus shows up on this path to Jerusalem, he is thinking about the fact that after this takes place, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be despised, I'm going to be stripped and killed. Jesus, oh, some of you went with us to Israel and you'll remember this path. Jesus starts down this path, down the Mount of Olives. It's steep. It's like you're walking straight down like this. He starts down this path. The path, I just want to mention this briefly. The path is significant. Jesus takes the same path that the, the lambs that were raised in Bethlehem, pay attention to your Bible, the same path that, was where, that the, the lambs that were raised in Bethlehem as the sacrificial lambs that will be sacrificed on the Day of Atonement are marched down the path from the Mount of Olives and they enter a gate called the Sheep Gate. And now Jesus, in the same way, walks down the same path and enters the sheep gate as the lamb that was slain before the foundation. See what he's doing here? He's arriving on the scene, showing them that he's fulfilling all that they've been hoping for. But when he does it, he's thinking about, after this day, I'm going to be beaten, spit on, rejected, killed. I got a question for you this morning. What would you do if you found out that this coming week was going to be the worst week of your life? What would you do if you found out that this week, the people that you thought were your ride and die folks, what if this week you found out the people that you trust with your entire life would betray you and stab you in your back? What would you do this, would, would you do this week if you found out that people were going to reject you and lie about you and mistreat you and mock you? What would you do this week if you found out that by this time next Next week, you would be dead. Would you mope? Would you hide in your bedroom and pull the sheets up over your head and refuse to come out curled up in a fetal position going, woe is me? Would you drink until you were numb? Would you shop until you could forget? Would you refuse to come out of your house or answer your phone? What would you do if this coming week was going to be, and you knew it, was going to be the worst week of your life? That's the situation Jesus was in, and I think it's imperative for us to figure it out, to slow down as on our approach to Easter, to recognize that on the day of the triumphal entry, when Jesus was recognizing I'm about to die, and my disciples are going to forsake me, and my disciples are going to reject me, and my father's going to turn his back on me while I'm hanging on the cross carrying our sins, and people are going to spit on me and mock me, while all of that was playing over over in his mind, notice what Jesus did. He allowed a worship service, a praise service to break out around him. Yes, I want you to see this truth that when the people that are there, they do two things. The Bible says some of them take off their clothes and they lay them down. Other, other people start breaking off branches off of palm trees. These don't look like palm trees, but they'll do. And they lay them down. They are literally 
saying, figuratively and literally saying, Jesus, you are arriving on the scene as our Messiah, as our King. You are literally royalty. We, we, we believe you are our King. So we are, we're laying this stuff down in active worship. You know what they're doing? They, I read it to you, but let me just go one step further. They are literally fulfilling prophecy. I don't have time to read it. I, I, I just want you to understand that they are literally fulfilling prophecy. I'll, let you, I'll just mention them. You can go look them up yourself. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, this is prophesied. Psalm chapter 118, this is prophesied. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24, 24 through 25, this is prophesied. I think it's imperative to understand that this impromptu praise and worship service not only fulfills prophecy, it repeats pattern. Okay, I'm trying to stop here long enough for you to catch this. God established a pattern in scripture that now on the day of this triumphal entry, Jesus is literally, all he's doing is repeating a pattern. The pattern is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's the account of Jehoshaphat who is facing an insurmountable foe. There are more of them than he has in his army. There's no way he can win. There's no way he can triumph. There's no way that he can overcome. But in Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat is instructed to do something that is very unique that now Jesus does on this day. Jehoshaphat is instructed what? Put the praise team out front. Yeah, put the, it's a bad day. We can't win. Impossible odds. No way to overcome this. And God says, put the praise team out front. Praise precedes battle. So, 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 so Jesus on Palm Sunday is not only fulfilling prophecy, he is literally repeating the pattern that this is, this is what we need to learn. This is a pattern we need to learn. Here it is. We worship our way into war so that now we can worship our way out of war in victory. Why is it that church people want to wait until after the battle to praise when Jesus shows us there's a pattern that should be established in our life that we should go into battle with praise? We come in with our hands down, our heads down, our hearts down, and we refuse to praise. Worship team's got to get us cranked up. They got to sing the right song. They got to work on us for 25 minutes. Get them worked up, worship team, because they're dead. Why? When we recognize that there's a pattern here that should be repeated in our lives, which is when we're facing some stuff that we don't want to face, we should praise our way in. Yeah, 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 yeah. How many of us become so intent on the prophecy of what is coming or the dread of what we're facing? I don't know about you, but when I look around in the environment around us and the situations around us, it looks like it's, it's unwinnable. It looks like the odds are stacked against us. It looks like the prophecy is saying it's over. You've, you've made your own bed, lay in it now. The chickens have come home to roost. You're sick, you're broke, you're busted, you're disgusted. What can you do? And if we're not careful we forget the pattern Jesus set this pattern the pattern is clear praise out front I, I, I want to get I want you to get this right you've got to get this right I am convinced this morning of one fact I'm convinced that this is the difference between victory and defeat we got to get this 
We, we got we to gotta learn what, we got to watch what happened on that day and learn the lesson. Here it is. Those people on that day did not praise out of obligation. Well, I just got to come to church, Passion Church on Sunday morning because, you know, that's what I got to do. It's what Christians are supposed to do. Don't want to do it. Don't like the song. Good Lord, the guitar was loud. Lights are too bright. Too much smoke on this Sunday. They had it better last week. I guess I'll praise because I'm obligated. I don't want to. Don't feel like it. Had a horrible week. That's not what happens here. These folks did not praise out of obligation. They praised out of revelation. I'm preaching right now. They, 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 they didn't show up on the scene that day and go, well, I guess we got to praise Jesus. Ain't nobody else riding a donkey like they talk about in Zechariah chapter 9. I guess I'm going to have to. Don't want to. Where's me a switch? You need to give me a switch. Lay it on the ground. Here it comes. Big deal. No, out of a revelation of who Jesus was, they recognized all of a sudden that Jesus is who he says he is, and Jesus can do what he says he can do. They have this divine revelation of who Jesus is, and the reason we must praise is is this, simply this, because we know that Jesus is who he said he is. I praise this morning, not because I have to. I praise because I have a revelation that Jesus is the living son of God, that Jesus has more power in his little finger because he was the word, he is the word, and with his word he can speak all things into existence. I have a revelation that I can put my trust in him I have a revelation of his track record that he always comes through. I have a revelation that Jesus is who he says he is. And I can't help myself. I have, a, I have this revelation that forces me to stand up and open my mouth even when I don't like it, even when the circumstances around me aren't conducive, even when it's hot in the room, even when it's cold in the room, even when everybody else wants don't join me, I still have to open up my mouth and declare that he is God. I can't help it. I have a revelation. I have a re See, I've got this revelation that I can't praise God because I've been good to him. I need to praise God because he's been good to me. And when I think of his goodness and all he's done for listen, I can't help myself. I don't have to like the song. I don't even have to like the people singing it. Because it's not about them, and my circumstance never determines his worth. Not out of obligation. I didn't just show up here this morning and go, oh, I guess I got to do this again. This is what I do. Not on your life, man. We opened up these doors. This is why we come together. We have a revelation of who Jesus is. We can't wait to get together and open up our mouth and praise. Doesn't matter what your week was like. Doesn't matter what your Saturday night was like. Doesn't matter what the coming week's going to be like. The fact is we praise him because he is worthy. He's worthy. I want you to notice what happens. Luke informs us that church folk try to shut the worship service down. Word to your mama. That's old school right there. Y'all don't even know. This is church folks. They try to stop the praise. Put a pause on that, Jesus. It's too loud, too fast, too radical. They try to stop the praise. Church folk. 
You didn't sing my song. Church folk. Okay. They, they, they tried to divert the attention from Jesus. And that's what the enemy still does. I need you to understand that our enemy tries to silence our praise because he knows it prepares us for what we're about to face. You think the reason you didn't feel like praising this morning because your dog acted stupid on the way to church. You think you didn't want to praise this morning because the, 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 in your car there was a breakdown in your relationship with your spouse. Why do you think that occurred? Why do you think you felt like killing each other on the way to church? Because the enemy knows that your praise is what positions you for what you're about to face. And so if he can get you to be quiet, oh, come on now. The praise service prepares Jesus, it propels Jesus, and it pronounces Jesus. Praise literally silences the one that is trying to silence us. Our willingness and our determination to praise, even in light of coming trials, in the light of tribulations, in the light, light of, of, of bills we don't know how we're going to pay, in the light of kids that are acting crazy, in light of a boss that's driving me nuts, my determination to do that, to continue to praise God anyway, does this. It tells the, it tells the enemy, shut your mouth. I wonder why it is that we have so many believers that are never willing to tell the devil to shut your mouth. When you're in your car, why don't you crank up some praise and worship music for just a moment and feel the atmosphere of your car when the enemy's trying to tell you that you are overcome and that you're never going to win and that you're not enough and your marriage will never survive and you won't be able to pay your bills and nobody loves you and nobody cares about you. Why don't you reach over, roll that dial up a little bit on some praise and worship and feel the atmosphere with what tells the devil, shut your stinking mouth. You're alive and you're the father of lies and there's no truth in you. Julie tells me I scream too much but I can't help myself this morning. I just got this praise rising up in me because I recognize it silences the one that's trying to silence me, Dublin trying to quiet me up all week long. I refuse. I, I, I'm just going to have to break a little decibel limits here. I think God is still worthy of praise, and I recognize that if I praise him, the enemy can't stand it, and he just wants to quiet me. What's trying to quiet you down? What's trying to get you to duck your head? What's trying to get you to think that you have no way out? What's trying to convince you that you shouldn't praise anymore? Open up your mouth and shut him up. Yeah. I'm reminded of an account in the Old Testament. Do you, some of y'all just need to read your Bible. In the Old Testament, there's this guy by the name of Joseph that his brothers were jealous of because Joseph was favored by his father. And the Bible says that his, his, his brothers, don't get this twisted, read it like it says it. It says that they came up with a plan not to send him on vacation. They were gonna kill him. Like take a knife, slit their own brother's throat, and kill him, right? But the Bible says that there was an older brother that showed up by the name of Judah. And Judah says, you know what? This is probably not a good idea. Let's do this instead. Let's sell him into slavery thinking that he's doing him a disservice. In fact, God is ordering the steps of Joseph, gets him in Egypt so that he can get them through the, 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 the famine, right? Right? 
but we miss it. It was Judah that showed up and stopped this brother's death. It was Judah that showed up and stopped his own brothers from killing him. It was Judah that got him out of the pit. Does anybody know what Judah means? It means praise. We've lost what happens on this day that as people are praising Jesus, it quiets the enemy down. It shuts his mouth. It rescues you. So, 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 so we can't keep quiet. We ought to be the loudest people on the planet about the right things. If you're going to be loud, which I want you to be loud, be loud about him. <laughs> Why is it we come and sing songs like he's unrivaled and he's unequaled and then we go out and we're quiet about him? If you've got to make declarations and proclamations this week, let me just encourage you to make the declarations and the proclamations about the undefeated one, the unrivaled one, the unequaled one, the one that never lets me down, the one that can do exceedingly abundantly above everything I ask or think. Let me, let me make proclamations about him. You say, why, why, why? Because praise, catch this. If you don't catch anything else, catch this. Praise paves the way for the way. Come on, praise team. Don't be, don't be distracted because in first service they went, and they lost me. Don't miss this. You miss everything else. Don't miss this. Praise paves the way for the way. Come on, think. What does the Bible say that Jesus said about himself? I am the way. Pray, please catch this. Praise what happens on the triumphal entry when they lay these branches down in front of Jesus. Praise literally becomes God's pavement. He, he travels in. He overrides their praise through his pain to victory. Can I remind you this morning that Scripture declares that God inhabits the praises of his people. God sets up his residence in our praises. Maybe the reason that God is nowhere to be found in your life is because you've left him homeless. Maybe if we would just open up our mouths and praise and shout his goodness and declare his majesty and usher him in, he would have pavement to come in on. That's literally praise. Praises are the Lord's stomping grounds. So we must... Praise prepares the way of the Lord. We, we so often want to praise after victory, but Jesus positions praise as a pavement that will usher him through what he's about to go through to victory. This day is so important in the road to Easter because it teaches us that this pattern is worth repeating. It is in light of about what you're about to face or what you may face, what you are going through, what you will go through, what you may go through. It is uh, We've got to come to an understanding that we prepare the way for the way with our praise anybody in the room need Jesus to ride into your situation anybody in this room right now would say Steve I need God to show up in my circumstance I need God to show up in my marriage I need God to show up in my children's life I need God to show up in my work 
I need God to show up in my school. I need God to show up in my doctor's office. I need God to show up in my bank account. I need God to show up in my life. Then somebody ought to figure out that the way to get him to show up is to praise him and watch the king of glory. Watch you walk in. Watch the king of glory override 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 what you're facing last thing and then I'll get out your way because we got to praise just a minute they literally in this moment according to prophecy when they lay the stuff down they're saying Jesus we have a revelation that you're royalty you're not just a man you're a king they lay the branches down to usher the king in, right? Are you with me? They are literally doing this. Y'all, some of y'all don't know, y'all, y'all too young, you don't know. They king him. Some of y'all hadn't played checkers in too long. You know, when you get to the other side and you win, you reach the other side without being picked off, you king him. Now all of a sudden, there's authority there. We sang about that this morning. There's authority there. And what could only go one direction and work one way, now all of a sudden has authority on it. And now it can go sideways and backwards and over, and it becomes powerful. They literally say, Jesus, we king you. And what I'm asking you to do today is to show up in this house with me and let's king Jesus. Let's, let's, let's lay some stuff down and establish the fact that he is God and he is God alone and he has all authority in his hands. King him this morning. King, I king you, Jesus, with my praise. I king you, Jesus, with my praise. I king you, Jesus, with my praise. Right in over the praise. I could be defeated, but I king you instead. I shout your name because you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're so good to me. So, 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 I want us to do this. We got to follow the pattern. We're going to worship. But as we do this, I want you to follow the pattern. They were literally taking branches to, to symbolically show that Jesus was royalty. I need you to do this this morning. What do you have in your possession right now that you could symbolically represent? I'm laying this at Jesus' feet because I need him to ride in over it. Pill bottle? Because some of y'all in the room are having to take pills because you're hurting. And you may say, Jesus, I need you to show up in my body. I need your physical healing to manifest in my life. Then why don't you take those pill bottles? You're going you're to bring them down here and we're going to lay them down. And by laying them down, you're saying, Jesus, I king you over The pill bottle only helps me temporarily. And I need you in your authority and your strength and with healing in your wings to show up and override this. Maybe it's a dollar bill. And you'd lay it down and say, Jesus, I need you to show up in my finances. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. But I lay this at your feet. And I ask you to ride in over my lack. And I praise you in my, maybe it's your wedding ring this morning. Maybe there's a problem in your relationship. You'll get to take it home with you. We're not keeping it. But you're going to lay it 
down and say, God, I need you to ride in over this thing. Maybe it's your phone because your phone represents your schedule. Your phone represents your contacts. Your phone represents what you view, what you feed your mind with. And I need to lay that thing down and say, Jesus, I king you. I give you authority. The authority that you have is greater than this. And I lay this at your feet and I ask you, Jesus, come in. I will praise you as you come into my relationship. I will praise you as you come into my sickness. I will praise you as you come into my lack and I'll king you. Come on, get it out. Whatever it is, get it out. The worship team's going to start worshiping and as they worship, I want you to bring it to the altar and I want you to spend a few moments and say, Jesus, I make you the king over this thing in my life. Come on, move, 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 move. We can't wait long. Move, 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 move. that your son showed us on the day of his triumphal entry, facing what may seem like insurmountable odds, facing what may be painful, facing what we may wish we didn't have to go through, facing the consequences of our own actions, facing choices that we've made, facing the outcomes that we wish would be altered. Right in the middle of all that, we king you, Jesus. We praise you recognizing that our praise positions us for victory. We may still have to go through some painful moments, but we recognize that it is imperative 
that on the front side, before everything turns in our favor, before everything turns around, before you wipe everything away, before all that, we will position praise and we will praise our way through as you override these areas of our life. And we will not praise you out of obligation. We praise you out of a revelation that Jesus, you are exactly who you said you are and you can do exactly what you said you can do. You're unrivaled, unequaled. You're undefeated. Nobody like you. We trust you because we've seen your track record. You come through every time. So this week, when the enemy tries to silence us, and convince us that there's no way out and there's no way through. Shut your mouth, devil. Come on, somebody just needs to tell the devil, shut your mouth. Teach us today. Let us be those kind of people that people look at weird because they're facing the same things we're facing and they, they duck their head and they become convinced that it's, there's no way. And while their head is ducked, our head raises up and we say, King of glory, come in. Come in, I usher you, come in. Come on, one more time, would you just usher him in? We usher you in, Jesus, with our praise. We usher you in, Jesus. We usher you in, Jesus. Come on, touch your neighbor right now. Lay your hands on them and just say, Jesus, come in. Come on, tell them, Jesus, come in. Come into their situation. Come into their brokenness. Come into their pain. Come into their discouragement. Come into their sickness. Come into the, every area of their life in this moment. Come in, Jesus. We usher you in. We usher you in. We usher you in. We expect you to arrive because we provide the atmosphere necessary for you to show up. We provide the atmosphere, the asphalt for you to walk on. We pave the way for you, Jesus. It's our bat signal. It's our bat signal when, when we're in dire need, when we're about to be overtaken, overcome, we just shine the light of praise and you're drawn like a moth to a flame. You're drawn to the praises of your people. Inhabit our praises, we pray. Inhabit your praises. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name.